I was very much a drone uh, up until I got to IBM. And IBM actually showed me, strangely enough, uh, a different way of doing life. Um, and I had a, an ability to look at it very differently. I had the rich dad, poor dad scenario before the book was written. Um, my dad was a mechanic and I worked under cars and was a hardworking blue collar guy who dropped out of high school and made his way and eventually did, you know, did good. We were very, you know, uh, we didn't want for anything, but we didn't have a lot um, when I was growing up. On the other hand, my aunt married a guy who was very from very much from an entrepreneurial family who set off to do his own thing. And after he got out of the military and was a Green Beret and uh, came out of that and stuff, started his own boat company and from the boat company became very successful and having time with him uh, until his death in 2005. Uh, was a very big indicator of the differences in mindset and thought and business. And I got to have conversations with him and make inroads and connections into life and business that really opened me up to understand the differences that I'd never understood about money and finances and stuff. And so while I had to continue my track with IBM until 2007, his death was an instigator um, for me two years later, moving out of IBM and saying, it's my time. I got to get done. I got to move. Yeah. I, I cannot do this. I can't, you know, I can't turn into my dad. But that wasn't like a negative to my dad. Like he's an amazing guy, hardworking, love him to death, get to see him every day, literally because he lives down the dirt road. Um, but I didn't want to turn into the guy who got stuck in the corporate life, you know, and, and in his way he was, even though he was a grease monkey at the factory. Mm. Um, he got stuck in the corporate life and he didn't want that for me either. Welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. Neil, welcome. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm doing great this morning. Oh, yeah. It's morning over there, isn't it? Morning. Yes. Just getting through the cup of coffee. It's not that early, but I usually start a little late on my day. Very good. Very good. I understand, Neil, somehow. Somehow you've heard us on the podcast. I did somehow hear you on the podcast. My VA goes out and she brings back podcast uh, guest opportunities and a podcast for me to listen to based on my varying interests. Uh, and she pointed out Ray's profile and I went and checked out your podcast and I said, hey, I got to reach out to Ray. Uh, I think we will hit on a few cylinders <laughs> that uh, that make sense. Yeah. So we had a talk and yeah, I think we do resonate on a couple of topics. Okay. But uh, I, with the condition of that shirt, we're not going to be able to put it on YouTube, I'm afraid. The condition of this shirt or, or <laughs> Nigel's shirt? Oh, come on. Okay. <laughs> don't go down the fashion route with Ray. Yeah, don't it go down the fashion route. Well, I got my life is good. Cold in, in England, you would be arrested for wearing a loud shirt in a built up area, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 no doubt. Well, um, bring a little color to life. It's spring. Yeah, yeah. You tell us what's Missouri like this time of year? Well, right now we are finally coming out of what is late spring uh, coming up here. So winter hasn't uh, completely lost its grip on us yet, but everything is now turning green. The colors are now exploding and the trees and everything are budding out and, uh, you know, the grass is growing and it's uh, beautiful. And the weather is usually in about, uh, let's see, in Celsius, it would be about... Uh, Oh gosh, I got to do the math again. So we would be all right. You know, we we remember Fahrenheit. Yeah, <laughs> you can do we Fahrenheit. Are you sure? I want to make yeah. sure you guys. Okay, you seem rather smart. Um, the, <laughs> we're about in the seventies during the day, and then in the fifties at night. So it's, it's about 60s, 18, 70s. 19 Celsius. I, I was going to say, no, gonna Ray, say about right. yeah. 
Ray, that is uh, that's a heat wave in Scotland, isn't it? That is a heat that's wave. a heat wave. Yes. Well, we'll be in the we'll be in the nineties come June. Um, we don't usually break in the hundreds, but we'll get up in the nineties and we have humidity and. Um, but it stays green all summer long. Unlike other parts of the country, we have a very good wet cycle here um, that comes through. So we're still in the rainy season. So we've got some additional storms and rain. We get inches and inches of rain out here. Uh, and then it stays green all summer long. So it's a beautiful, beautiful. time. We're in that weird stage where you have to try to mow in between rain showers because it's growing so high. It's starting to get like half a foot high before you can get between the next rain shower and you can actually mow it. Um, I have 40 acres out here uh, and 10 on top uh, of the hill that we mow. Uh, so it takes somewhere between, you know, a normal four hour run to do to do the entire top. Well, when it gets to be, you know, uh, a couple feet tall, if it gets to be, go too far because of the uh, rain, <laughs> then it could take anywhere between six to eight hours to finish everything. Sounds like you need to get some grazing animals on it. We've got ducks and chickens and we've we've talked about some sheeps and goats and other things, but uh, we mainly keep it back because I have four daughters and they always run and play and are out here all the time everywhere. And there's, you know, snakes. And so we push the grass back to keep it uh, down so they can run and play and do their thing without worrying about snakes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, snakes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to worry about over here. Things like not that. We have York, a few. Not in Yorkshire. Well, not you're not in, in Australia. So it's not like everything that in Australia kills you. At least out here, you have a fighting chance. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. So. Neil, what are you mm -hmm. um, what are you hoping to to get from this? What are you going to share with us? What are you hoping to get? How can we help you? How can you help us? Sort of thing. And yeah. How do you, and how do you pronounce your name? <laughs> how do you pronounce? <laughs> it's not an acronym. It's not an MBA, a PhD, or some other kind of thing. I tagged on for fun. Uh, it is Toi. Uh, last name Toi it used to be uh, La Toi uh, and came out of France. Oh. Um, got L-E-T-R-O-U-I-S, uh, -E I believe is what it was. Um, back okay. We tracked it back as, Norm as far as Normandy, France, uh, on my dad's side. And, and we were able to determine some of my family likes to do that, you know, historic mm -hmm. ancestry thing. So they figured out that uh, my great, great, great grandfather, long story short, came across the Hudson Bay Trading Company, was a fur trader, ended up in Quebec, Canada. Uh, and then from there, he migrated and met a woman down in Minnesota. Uh, from there, you made the wise then, decision to move from Canada to the USA. <laughs> correct, and so they took his name, and they're like, "Yeah, we can't pronounce that, so we're just going to go with Twa." So they just came up with TWA, and he's like, "Okay, fine." So there's a very small amount of Twas who were not Asian, clearly, uh, yeah. but we get mistaken uh, for Asian a lot. But we're not; we're actually descendants of Nordic Vikings who settled in Normandy. <laughs> so um, there you go. Have you there done, you go. Have you done the um, what is what is it they call it the one two three um, you know oh the DNA no I'm not giving my DNA up I give them enough DNA as it is they can go <laughs> screw off with the DNA thing um, okay. the, <laughs> so you asked Nigel that'll give you some insights I'm not like I call it the free state of Missouri we didn't have the same nonsense that went down in the whole pan pandemic I'll tell you where I stand on all that. Uh, and so in reference to the conversation, you know, and I, I listened to your podcast and a lot of things resonated. I had a small podcast for a little bit that was taking off too fast to, to get publicity. And I decided I didn't want that kind of publicity. It was called the IDGAF podcast. Uh, and we covered anything that we IDGAF. And apparently I don't IDGAF enough to keep it going. But I do have other podcasts and obviously business in relationship to money, developing uh, e-commerce business and growth, exiting companies in M&A. Um, I'm typically looking for people who are you know, to some degree have more money than time, but also understand their CEO operator role um, and want to build up an e-commerce company online, but don't necessarily know what route to take. We take them through a structured format uh, of building a company with an exit in mind in 24 months. 
Um, we take them from incubation to exit uh, through my agency and my business, and we help them become operators and understanding, starting with the Amazon FBA channel, and then moving them into direct consumer once their brand matures, uh, and then taking that out. We have a group called Voltage Portfolios, which Kevin Harrington from the Shark Tank is a part of, uh, and my other partners have all um, been very successful as well as me in business, building eight, nine-figure companies, and so we do that, and then we mentor on the side. We teach folks uh, who have uh, the interest in small groups, and it's usually, you know, th sometimes I'll have three people come in in a month, and sometimes I'll have seven. It just depends upon the month. I'm usually not pushing it, but uh, over on the side, we mentor folks who want to become operators, uh, and we work with them to do that. So I'm just trying to reach an audience of folks any chance I get to talk about what we do and see if that needle in the haystack might be a few people in there um, who are interested in building true businesses online and not this make money internet marketing crap that so many people peddle. Mm. Um, we are business builders who chose e-com. On that, Neil, where do people go once they've exited and they've got their payoff? What do they do with the money? They do it again. And I'll show how to okay. do it even faster and bigger and more like a franchise model. Uh, right. So as we build up these brands, you can build multiple brands at a time. You could cross-segment or go horizontal into the marketplaces. We show them how to uh, both vertically and horizontally climb their brands, as well as repeat their brands for growth and go back and compete with themselves in the market and dominate a particular niche. Uh, sell off one brand, uh, use the capital and experience to raise up the second brand and then just do it faster and faster. Because once we show them how we adapt products and how we find the products and how we make them profitable and grow a profitable brand that has organic and intrinsic value, intellectual property, assets, trademarks, etc. Uh, once they understand that process all the way through the first 12 months, then they know how to do it again very fast. And if you have an ADHD entrepreneurial brain, um, I am now 10 years into this marketplace because I've found nowhere else that I can go, you know, get that uh, ADHD need to change and do and move and adapt. But I've done it all in the same space. And that's why I've kind of stayed where I've been out uh, on this Amazon FBA platform for that long. Okay, good. Any good. of them ever, ever buy any real estate in the UK or want to buy real estate in the UK? Most of my people are uh, high net worth individuals in real estate, multi-tenant, uh, short-term rentals, infinite banking concepts, uh, wealth without Wall Street. Um, obviously growing and building and franchising and developing. And so, yes, in return, when I send this out to my folks, they'll be interested uh, to hear what you guys have to say too. So then we had Nigel, we talked about some other stuff. Of course, um, I have, uh, um, how do I say this the right way? Well, I guess I can't say it the right way. Uh, I woke up to the whole industry, the medical industrial complex and the military industrial complex back when I had uh, my first child. Uh, we ran into the medical industry head on, uh, dealing with medical conditions of my wife and my first daughter that were to some degree unexplainable in terms of the medicines that they were trying to use and the processes and things they were trying to do. Uh, it was making my, my wife and my child sicker, uh, and they were getting worse, not better. And in that process of pushing back against the system and trying to figure out solutions for their health and trying to keep my daughter fed so she didn't starve to death, uh, as well as trying to figure out why my wife kept having trans ischemic attacks, which are mini strokes. Um, yep. and trying to figure out what that was, we went deeper into the medical system and got scarier and scarier actually. Uh, and so as we pulled back from the medical system and went to a more naturalistic, holistic approach, uh, as we saw them healing, uh, and we saw the bodies restoring and we saw that my daughter start to eat and my wife started to come out of some of the issues that she was having. Um, obviously we wanted to dig deeper into that. so we started to go that route. Well, of course you go against the medical industry to some degree and you have to back away with your hands up. Um, because in our neck of the woods, and at least in part of where America stands currently, most people don't understand the amount of medical kidnappings that actually go on. 
uh, in which doctors turn parents in for not following protocols or you know food standards or guidelines or something like that, they consider it in some cases to be neglect uh, or mistreatment if you're not following like the food pyramid and other kinds of things for your children's health and wellness and you're not putting them into schools and we homeschool our children. Uh, and pulled them all out of homeschool, you become, uh, if you're not careful, a victim of the system. And so as we started to pull back and put our hands up and started to walk away from the medical system, it got a little bit hairy there for a bit um, as we were wondering whether they were going to turn us into you know, D, what's called DHS uh, uh, and uh, Children's Services. And so as we started to heal and they became more and more uh, stronger and things were starting to resolve and to some degree, I would go as far as say, um, curing some of their illnesses with holistic treatments, um, we realized that something was very wrong <laughs> with society. And this is about 15 years ago. Uh, something was very wrong with the medical system. And we pulled out of the medical system and went farther back into holistic. And as we continue down that path and their conditions continue to get better, we, we obviously dug into why the medical system was the way it was. Why were they pushing these things? Yeah. And obviously money was a factor, but there's greed and profit uh, is a big component of that. But then you get down into the factors of evil. Uh, which in my case, I determined it more as a spiritual thing uh, in a battle, you know, of, of evil, good and evil, because some of these things cannot be explained outside of just pure evil uh, as to why people do these things or why they're allowing them to occur or why they're just being a part of the system that's allowing it to occur uh, without revolting against it. But long story short, you know, we, we woke up to that. So the better part of that rabbit hole took us down every framework of the FDA and Monsanto uh, and into all the components of the organizations into realizations that the United States was an LLC and there's 12 corporations. And I mean, we went into the whole realization of America's history and the truth behind all of these things and has unfolded deeper and deeper in the last 15 years to recognizing so many things about what are occurring uh, down to, you know, noting, knowing in 2019, September, that the uh, pandemic was coming. Uh, that they had planned it and they were executing it and we wanted no part of it. Um, we could see all that happening and we tried to wake some family members up, et cetera, and try to tell them to you know, be prepared, but don't be afraid of what they're doing because this is this is uh, more than just an engineered virus. Uh, and, and there are some components of that, of course, that I know are legit. And then there's other components that are just made for television, uh, made for movies, if you will. Uh, and a lot of family members didn't trust us on that. Some of them got hurt. Some of our friends have died. Um, from vaccine side effects. Um, we've had a, a group of people that got put together. There's 107 of us now. There was five when I started this and we have walked through this path for the last four years. Some of them, you know, some of them for more than four years with us uh, who stayed out of the system because they were talking to each other and aware of what was going on. But unfortunately they had friends and family who didn't. And we have had direct um, uh, verifiable, I guess is the best way to put it, um, you know, adverse effects and uh, death uh, and other causes from the vaccinations. So when, you know, we told my family, there's a number of them who didn't believe us anymore, who now no longer talk to us and don't want anything to do with us and don't invite us to family events anymore. Uh, and friends who have segregated us out into the crazy group of people who are, you know, anti-vaxxer and all this stuff. Uh, but so long story short, Nigel, you know, we've walked a long process of understanding a lot of things that most people don't get anymore. Uh, and have had an opportunity to share that with others and wake them up in the process too. Um, so, so was that when we started talking about central bank digital currency? Was that yes. was, was that something that you had? Uh, I've known about programmable Bitcoin, yeah. programmable credit, uh, you know, yeah. digital currency, programmable since Bitcoin came out. Um, Bitcoin I knew was something way beyond 
uh, a independent writing. You know, they don't really know exactly who created it, although there's indications that the Federal Reserve and others had hands in that uh, as a wealth transfer division, as well as um, the ability to create programmable uh, you know, currencies. And now we watch the social credit systems and stuff coming into full effect in China. And obviously you guys in the UK are now looking down the barrel of a June 1st-ish uh, or so mandatory requirement for digital currencies uh, and programmable chips and other things tied to your phone. Uh, and quite honestly, if you go back again to the spiritual warfare thing, I don't know where you guys lie in all this, but I'll just tell you my personal story and you can feel free to disagree with me. But uh, there's something very biblical about this <laughs> in its nature, in its form as a currency, a system, a government, and a uh, religion uh, that we're watching a lot of that unfold right now um, and just kind of setting back and watching some things very prophetically happen uh, that uh, you know I wouldn't have expected in my lifetime, but no, no doubt it is happening. Um, and I knew Bitcoin was one of those things where uh, it was the leader, it was the, you know, hedge, it was the uh, early adoption and the ability to get people to understand and buy into the idea uh, that uh, this was going to be a life-saving thing. But really, I see it as another controlled opposition uh, that's allowing people to, you know, get acclimated to the idea of, of digital currencies so that at some point they'll want it and they won't resist it, which is usually the MO for, for manipulating any crowd and mass formation hypnosis. So. Yeah, these are the things we've watched occur, and it's kind of fascinating to see people falling into the system deeper and deeper as you kind of scream, you know, don't go out there's, you know, into the deep water, and yet they're continuing to swim out into it, right? Um, but yeah, programmable currencies, listen to what you guys said, and it was definitely resonating on that aspect of, uh, of awareness that so many people don't understand what's coming, uh, and what to, how it's going to affect their daily lives. Yeah, no doubt about it. Neil, on, on that, Neil, yeah, where would you say you fit? on the on the sort of on the scale of how many people in america are thinking like you or completely baffled or completely anti you know your position yeah yeah it's a great question and i don't i can't speak for the entire group i could just say from my own consensus that um the media has an idea you know a, an inverse relationship that the five percent controls the, the view of the 95 percent when in actuality america is closer to 60 or 70 percent of us all agree uh, that many things are in line, yet the media makes everyone feel like they're the minority. And that's, again, that's part of that whole psychological operation. When I got into um, some military contracts and stuff uh, and during the IBM days and got some security clearances and stuff, I got to meet a number of people uh, involved and had some operational stuff that we did out of Oklahoma with a drone program. Um, and with a lot of that came some contacts and those contacts continued to evolve and and uh, revolve over the years and i've made more contacts into the military and stuff and one of the areas that they uh, that i had an opportunity to speak with a gentleman about was the psychological operations and warfare that had to do with a lot of the ways that they've taken over countries in the past and they've used that to basically um, degrade and demoralize a, a citizenship in, in their in their country and then basically come in and replace them with their leaders and the currency and their you know system of government etc um, america is in a very big demoralization uh agenda right now uh demoralize separate divide conquer right uh and we are very much on that path so most americans honestly uh the majority don't believe uh, a lot of what's going on they don't trust a lot of what is happening you can see it very clearly in the indicators the sideline indicators you watch like what happens when people figure out disney is really just pro agenda for grooming of children and then you watch their stock take a huge dive uh, if it was not true that the majority of Americans didn't agree with that, you wouldn't see that occur. If you if you didn't hear the whole 
you know, Elon, uh, I always pronounce his name wrong. It's, is it Elon or Elon Musk or Elon? People say all kinds of different ways. Yeah. Um, and you watch what's happening with Twitter and the, the amount of outrage that's being, uh, against free speech and bringing people back on the platform who want to share other things. You can kind of get another indicator that the majority of people don't agree with censorship in that form against free speech. So in America, I think that we have been subjugated to a media and a propaganda machine that has become so strong that uh, you, it makes you feel like a minority when in actuality you're not. You will meet more Americans on the street everywhere who agree with something's wrong. Um, this dementia in chief can not possibly be running our country. Uh, <laughs> and there are so many other things that are indicators of a very wrong uh you know situation occurring they just feel fear and individualized and divided that they don't feel like they can come together they don't feel like they can organize in these things um because we're very much divided now and there are so many machines bots uh and technologies out there right now spreading disinformation on a mass level that i have never seen and we've watched this for years and in the last two years the amount of disinformation to confuse the public and, and then again demoralize because you think this is true and then someone says it isn't so then you feel like you're not and then someone as it says it is and then you're like well am i the crazy one and when you get into that spin you constantly start to question everybody and everything and again that's a path that leads to being demoralized and to being uh, individualized and so again we're we're being segmented we're being herded as a country uh, it's so incredible to watch um it's so incredible to watch this occur uh, but we as Americans are not really um, that uh, diversified in the way we think. Um, most Americans want to work. They want a great job. They want an opportunity. They want kids. They want a future. They want retirement. They want the home they have. The, they want to create opportunities for their kids. Um, they don't want to live by the system. They want an opportunity to work for it. Um, this is not gone from America yet. Mm. Not yet. And there's a lot of us who are uh how do you how do you how do you get to the answer to that, Nigel? It's a long way around to basically say there's a lot of Americans who are very much at the verge of saying that we're willing to fight, but we just don't know exactly which direction to go. Yeah. I mean what you what you're talking about there for America and where you see uh the country as a whole being led is and, and the confusion that people have, I, I know this sounds a bit glib, but almost you must see it when you're working with people, individuals who are wanting to start a business and, and they are just in this situation where they feel like they're the outsider. You should go for corporate America. You should do the, the standard routine of school, university, college, whatever, yeah. get a job, work, retire, yeah. shuffle off this mortal coil sort of thing. And yeah. And when you say, no, I want to give it a go. I want to do my own thing. I'd like to do this. I think I can do that. Yeah. The confusion is, is exactly the same as, as what you're saying there. And it's it, a lot of people, we've seen it through lockdown. Uh, we're both of a certain age where I'd like to say it's a midlife crisis, but I don't think I'll live long enough to define this, but it's my <laughs> midlife. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where you wake up and you just go, hang on, hang on. I can't just keep repeating the same thing. I need to do something different. I need to do my own thing. I need to go out. I don't care if I fail. I just want to try. Yes. And everything is there to try and keep you, um, held back or held down. Um, so it's interesting that you've got this 
kind of mentoring coaching approach and this this way of helping people set up a business get out there do their own thing be able to hand it on a legacy step out of the rat race do your own thing have the confidence and then be able to repeat it um just as you're sort of in the in the same thing saying folks everyone in the country is doing the same thing if you're not careful but i've got a question for you neil Mm -hmm. what is the end game of the people, the government or whatever, what's the end game of this? Why are they doing it? Well, you know, there's a phrase you'll, you'll recognize that comes to mind when you ask that question and is um, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And if you've watched the history repeat itself, America should have collapsed years ago under the weight of taxation, um, misrepresentation, slavery, and debt, the same things that corrupted the Roman Empire, the same things that brought down the Ottoman Empire, the same things that brought down the Greek uh, Empire, they all eventually collapsed under absolute corruption. Uh, and we're, Amer- we're watching America, I think, in the final death throes of what was old America and what will become new America. The problem, I think, with that is that the there's a there's that division between the country who sees it going one direction and the other part of the country that sees it going another way. Um, the you know you mentioned the traditional path. Uh, I went on that, and, and in three years in college, I recognized I was going to die a horrible death of of living in front of computer screens and being the corporate jockey, and I needed to get out of that. Unfortunately, where I was uh, in the in life, it, the internet was just coming on, and I wanted to get involved in international business and e-commerce and all of these things and see that opportunity. But there was nowhere to go. I had to either stay in academia, where the money was being spent at the local level to put the corporate, you know, networks in and computers and all this stuff, or I had to go to the corporate world where the money was being spent there. Another in in this haze of time, there was no other way to go. So I went into the corporate world. I had to you know to make a decision to do that. I dropped out of you know academia and went into the corporate world. Um, I don't regret doing that um, because I had a great life, you know, lesson. And through that, I got to work in Sprint and, and made my way into IBM uh, and spent a better part of, uh, you know, 10, 12 years within that corporate track before I jumped out uh, in 2007. I had an opportunity to leave and go do my own thing. And the minute I did, I, I left. I was an intrapreneur there. Uh, and then I got to leave and find out what an entrepreneur really is. But Americans are fighters and we're scrappers and we know that there is something to be fighting about here. We just know that it isn't each other. And most of America understands that. But there is a division uh, that is in there trying to create that conflict. If you've ever heard the analogy of putting red and black ants into a jar and leaving them alone, they will just play along and be fine. But when someone comes along and shakes the jar, what happens, right? The ants start fighting between each other and they have no idea why. They just feel like they're the aggressor and they start fighting. Someone shook America. And at this moment, we got a bunch of people in America fighting with each other, and yet they have no idea why. And it comes down to all these issues uh, that you can bring up. But there are so many of them. Which one can you fight? Because it seems like every one is so diverse in its nature, right? It's so some of it feels diabolical, like abortion, and others feel crazy, like, well, did Trump win the election or not? Um, Was this guy really installed? It's like you, you have these outliers, and it creates this whole real ambiguity but in terms of building people up and realizing what's going on, yeah, America is a, a place where people who are fighting and wanting to get out of that system and now recognizing the system of control that's on them have felt this this bit of melancholy. They felt a little bit of uh, apprehension. They felt a little fear. They felt like, hey, this isn't right. Like, I don't want this to be my life if I start to see um, that my corporation is is taking advantage of me over the last few years and the way they treated me during this whole 
uh, you know, stage of American world history. And why do I want to be a part of that system that I see subjugating me? And, and there's so many people who are like, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I don't know what to do or where to go, but I want out. Uh, and I want out as fast as I can. And I've met more people in the last two years who have come through that process who are now like ready to go. I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own man, my own woman. I want to get out. I want to build something of value. I thought that I could do that inside of this system, but now I recognize the system is actually stacked against me. And so I, I don't want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And so people are racing to find other things to do uh, with their time, energy and money. Uh, and they, they mentioned earlier, you know, alternatives to wealth without Wall Street is a big component of that. Where do I put my money if I don't no longer trust and now understand what the Federal Reserve really is? And I understand how the markets are manipulated. Where do I put my money? How do I invest it? How do I put it to work? My, if I'm going to raise capital, what do I do with it? Um, can I, you know, I don't want to go out and be an Amish guy who builds houses. That's really cool. We have a lot of Amish people where we live and they do very good houses uh, and they build very well, but that's not for everybody, right? If you, if you live in a you know, situation where you've been in a corporate life and you want to create something, typically a business or something online that creates that opportunity to have a lifestyle that's very different than the one you're currently embedded in is, is one of the biggest indicators and biggest motivators. Um, we, you know, have created a situation where we are, Nigel, where I see lifestyle uh, creating the business, not the business creating the lifestyle. I always like to invert the way people think about this because they get it, they get it wrong. If you can first visualize yourself in a lifestyle that you want and then start to move your life to that lifestyle, no matter where you currently are, you will start positioning the mindset to accept the things that are going to occur next. You start to accept the path you're on, the things you need to do. You prepare yourself mentally because business is so much of a mental war. The stuff we're talking about right now is a giant mental war that's causing depression. And then I saw in the UK, more children have killed themselves than actually died in the pandemic um, because of depression and fear and concern. So this is a mental warfare that we're in right now. And when people start to understand that it's a mental warfare first, then they understand how to fight the physical battles next. And those physical battles for them can be any kind of battle that they face in their life. Uh, it's going to be different for every person, right? Okay, Neil. I mean, fascinating kind of take on it. And I, I like it. I want to just drill down into a couple of things. So what would be if someone and, and I, you know, Ray and I talk about it. And, and when you talk to someone, you can sense that there's something that is not quite in balance with them. And there's something causing them discomfort, something beginning to niggle at them. And that they know they know they've got to make a change. But as you say, they've no idea which way to go. And when we talk to people about raising money, they, they typically they say, we need to raise money because we need to do something different. And you need to have the money to get out and do something different. Sure. But when you're sort of looking at, at someone in that position, what would you say would be the key steps that you could do as self-analysis? You could ask yourself three or four questions. And if you give a certain answer, it kind of indicates you're at the right point. You're in the right position to make a change. And if, if you can kind of have a few questions like that, that you should be asking yourself, then when you've answered them, what are the next steps to maybe, as you say, say, right, I'm going to flip this on its head. I'm going to go lifestyle and then work out how I can make my lifestyle work. So talk me through what you might be thinking that, that could help people. So when I say that uh, creating a lifestyle as a business, not a business to lifestyle, there's a lot of things that occur in people's minds when they don't understand what it takes to be an entrepreneur. There are levels to entrepreneur. There's the guy that starts out on his own and 
you're washing the dishes and the windows and you're doing everything. At that point, you know, you get a business going and you become a, a bit of an owner. And so now you maybe have some people that are working for you, but you're still in an owner capacity. You're not really at the CEO level yet. CEO level is a very different jump from an owner. And that is when you actually understand operations and growth and scale and strategy as a CEO and how to lead the company forward while others are working more of the ownership tactical level with employees or contractors who are helping the business go. Those are different levels of ascension in business. Everybody okay, wants to so jump to the hang CEO. On, hang on, before you get, before you get yep. to that then, yep. um, you can't obviously jump straight to CEO. Well, everybody and, wants and to. Know it. If, if, you've <laughs> been an, if you've been an employee, can you? No, no, you cannot. Oh. So why I call them CEO operators is I actually put emphasis on the operator first. And the operator component is actually understanding enough of the business model to be dangerous about each component and even imperfectly act out each component of the business model, even if you're not an expert at it yet. Yeah. The idea is that you now understand what are the standard operating procedures? What works, what didn't, how do I understand? And then I can be dangerous enough to train someone else into that position who is an expert or at least identify what areas they are experts in and areas they fail at so that I don't just willy nilly hire somebody who's going to waste my time, money and effort. At that point, I now have standard operating procedures. I have objectives and key results, OKRs I can put in place for that particular position and the three things I need that person to do. You don't just dump to that. All right. If you're inside of a business and a lot of that is being done for you and they're handing you reports and you're one piece of a wheel inside of an operation, you have no idea the other intercomplexities or interdependencies of the other points of those operations, you need to actually get in and work at first. So when somebody comes to me, and they're in that position, I'm usually listening to their language, the logic and their reasoning to determine whether or not they have made that mental jump yet, prior to reaching me, if they come to me, and they have not made that mental jump, and they have not made that decision, that no matter what, I am going to work this out, figure this out, and this is what I want to do, then I will simply disqualify them from the process. They'll need to go figure that out and do that diligence and go basically spend their money on somebody else's dime. I don't want them failing on my time. And I don't want their I don't want them to fail in their dime with me. So the end result is people usually want to get to me by the time they have made those decisions. I want to do this. I have made some mental checklist. I have been in process. They've typically taken two to three months, even two to three years to go through this process before they reach me. And that is a process in which they have shut off the world, shut off the ideas, shut off the job, shut off. They haven't left these things yet, but in their mind, they're mentally starting to check out. They are mentally detaching themselves and starting to put themselves in a frame of mind that's a fighter mindset, okay? The, the flight mindset has been there. They've usually jumped jobs. They've jumped inside their business. They have flight. Uh, mentality, and they are usually trying to figure out some other way to make more money within their environment. What I'm looking at is, are you willing to change your environment to get what you actually want? If you're currently, you know, in a big house with two cars, are you willing to let that go in order to reach your dream? If you've got too much debt, are you willing to get out of that before you're really to go after your dream? I am looking for people who have made those decisions already, and are in that process, okay, and they have decided and here's an example for your brain, Nigel to climb Everest, okay, Everest with this big mountain of business. They want to get to the top. They know it's up there. Everybody knows there's a top of Everest is 29,500 feet up and everybody wants to get there. They also recognize at some point, no one in their right mind climbs Everest without a Sherpa, right? They understand that they've done their due diligence. They recognized it. They realize that no matter what preparations they take physically or mentally, they are not ready to climb that mountain without somebody who's already done it 15 times. So they're at base camp. They finally made it to base camp. 
They get it. They're there. They're mentally ready. They've done their due diligence. They want out of their situation. They want to change their life. They've talked to their wife and spouse and significant other, and everybody's in agreement. Something needs to change, right? Because I'm either going to be 159,000 pounds overweight, mentally depressed, or put on psychotropics because I can't handle my life anymore. I can't stay here anymore. Like they're ready to move and ready to go. And so when they reach me, they're like, hey, you know what? Base camp. All right, let's go. What do we do? What do we gear up? How do we get moving? How do we take every three feet up that mountain? We want to make sure we have the not just the right oxygen, but the right mixture and the right bottle. We need the right equipment. You need the right supplies. We're going to go with the right pace up there. And then when we get to the top, I'll be setting off to the side and you're going to take all the pictures and everything's going to be great. And I'll be watching you uh, excited that you made it to the top of your Everest. Um, but I won't be in the photos um, because it's what real mentors understand. Uh, you don't need to be in the photos. You don't need the reward. Uh, you want the others to reach their reward and goal. In our instance, we do it in such a way where there's a win-win. We will help them broker their businesses when they reach Everest. We will help them sell their companies. And that's how we ultimately make our money in this game is the M&A space. Uh, we build these. We qualify people to build along with us. And we help them go up their mountain. And then we help them exit their companies. And once they understand that entire process, they're capable of doing it on their own after that. And so this is a, a way to basically get people to understand at this point, if you are on that path, if you're walking, if you've now recognized that you started to make lifestyle changes in your mind that are in your current environment, even if you're at a job or another business stream, that you're now making a mental shift and a physical change of activity to move yourself in the position to be ready to actually accept, because there's a big thing. People think they're not worthy anymore. They get told it's bad to have money and Everybody right now is is hammering on Twitter and stuff because, well, he could have spent that $44 million saving, you know, world hunger. Yeah, that's not even going to put a drop in the bucket, folks, uh, for world hunger. <laughs> um, I, noticed that, I noticed that that was a, uh, a minister, a church guy that suggested he does that. Yeah, and right. I mean, come was, on, dude. The reply was that you've got 1.7 trillion. Why don't you start? Start with a chart. Right? I mean, you start selling your stuff off. It, it literally, it starts with all of us. It doesn't just start with one guy with money. It's everybody changing the way they approach life and their family and their family structure that will ultimately fix all of this. Fixing the nuclear family will change so much more than somebody with billions of dollars trying to fix world hunger. Mm. Uh, it's a totally different approach to it. It's a mentality, and we've got the wrong mentality today. But you know, you have to get to that place where you are mentally ready to make the change. You're really, you're ready to learn. You're willing to listen to a Sherpa. You understand you don't know everything, and that's okay. Arrogance and pride have fallen aside uh, from where you want to go, and you recognize that there is a better, faster, easier way uh, to climb your Everest when you have somebody who's helping you along. Uh, that takes time. It takes time to deprocess uh, and to remove yourself and decompress from that traditional life. That car, that house, that job, that 401k, that idea that you'll retire in 30 years. I am an impatient AF. I am so impatient. I will not wait for that. Um, I do not want to sit around and wait for 30 years to have some sort of feeling of retirement. That's what I mean by lifestyle as a business. I live on 40 acres. I homeschool my kids. I'm home with my family all the time. We do things, chop wood, go outside, play with the kids, do their chores, have fun. And I, my lifestyle is my business. I will not ever regret taking the time, energy, and effort to do that. And it came with its own risks. No, it wasn't always reward. In the process of gaining my time and space and getting my head in the right place, I destroyed a marriage um, because I was in the wrong place and I ruined that marriage. And, and because of that, uh, she felt at liberty to do things that you could easily say were her fault. But in actuality, I was the main instigator for why that occurred. Uh, and as I broke through that barrier and became more self-aware and started to work out of the world, 
then I met financial problems and I went bankrupt once um, because I had a couple partners who took advantage of too much capital raise uh, and uh, went out and, and did too much with the money they shouldn't have. And I discovered that one day and I'm like, well, crap, I'm too far into this business. So business strategy aside, the lawyers were like, you got to indemnify yourself and go bankrupt. Oh, great. Like, let's reinvent ourselves again. So we started over again. But it has to do with uh, understanding those components of business. And if they're ready, they will also understand these things. And I'll just to wrap this up. Uh, they will understand the inverse relationship of money, time, and activities. Most people think it's money first. How much does this cost? What do I got to do? You know, how much do I have to spend to get this going? That's actually the wrong question to be asking. If they ask those questions, I will disqualify them. It means they're not mentally ready. They're not financially ready to do the business model. And they're going to have the wrong expectations of doing it. So we invert that. It's the amount of time you spend. Uh, is more important on what activities you should actually spend. We call them revenue generating activities. Those are the most important key factors. When you get going and you're starting this out, if you don't actually follow the right activities, you will waste a lot of time and a lot of money doing the wrong things. You will mask activity with productivity. You will complete things. You will focus on the wrong metrics. You will not understand true profit in the business models. And eventually you will fail in it. Um, and it usually is, again, uh, that time first and how much time does it take? How much time should I dedicate to these activities? What actual activities should I take? And from that money will actually flow. Uh, and once you understand that reverse, then you understand I will do whatever it takes to make it work because I'm on the right path. And I know which actually, you know, activities and, and metrics I should actually focus on uh, in my business to actually make it successful. Um, that literally gets down to the reasons why most businesses fail. 500,000 a year in America will fail because they get this wrong. They get the knowledge wrong. They are either undercapitalized or in some cases they're overcapitalized, which sounds sort of strange. Um, but if they have the right knowledge and the right amount of capital, they'll have the success. If they have the wrong knowledge and all the capital in the world, they can still fail. At an Amazon aggregator, which is a big uh, investment firm come uh, who had bought a couple of properties on Amazon and wants to grow them up, overcapitalized, not enough knowledge. I was on with their entire lead team and no one understood how it actually works. No one understood how the e-com system works, what metrics they should focus on. They were asking me all these questions and I thought, well, don't you guys know anything about this? How did you manage to get all these funds? Well, you know, um, bless our hearts, they're all just, you know, Ivy League graduates and MBAs and stuff and they've got all this business knowledge. It has nothing to apply itself to the e-com world of selling on Amazon. And so the brands they bought, no one should have ever bought. The brands they've got are going down dramatically. They spent way too much money on them. And their answer was, well, we have more capital. Well, no, no, you don't. You should probably give all that money back uh, and go find something to do <laughs> and try to save face with your investors. Because unless you figure this out very quickly and make some massive changes in your business, you're going to go out of business. So they lacked the critical knowledge, but they had the money. And so many times people will be able to get to the right knowledge, but don't have the capital to get started. That's why I want people to really understand that to build a seven figure business online or anywhere else that I'm aware of, you need a minimum of, of six figures in capital to start in the first year. Uh, if you're gonna start a franchise, you need at least two to three times that uh, or more depending upon the franchise. You know, to be really capitalized is important. Um, not to be so overcapitalized again, that you aren't willing to um, get the knowledge necessary to overcome those issues. And those are some of the things that I think most people uh, that are listening would resonate hopefully with and understand the intricacies of those and fit into one of those components somewhere uh, in this conversation is the goal, obviously. Yeah. I'm, Neil, I like the Everest thing because um, in my head, uh, it, it's one of these things where it, it's almost as if Everest is there on your journey to work every day, but you never look out the window. You never even notice it. Right. And then 
suddenly you sort of notice it and you go, what the hell's that? And someone goes, oh, I don't know, never seen that before. That's interesting. And then it preys on your mind as you keep going past it and you keep thinking, what is it? How You know, what happens there? And then you see some people set off and disappear off towards it. And then you think, what are they doing? And it's that awareness that can take quite a long time to get going before you feel, you know, you're in that comfortable zone, aren't you? Going to work, getting the mortgage paid, getting the bills paid. In the uh, zone. You, you've got your car paid and you just do it. But there's something niggling about what is that thing there. And it's only when you meet someone and have that conversation, open it up, you sort of go, really? And what happens then? Well, you, you do this and then you do that. And the intrigue, the curiosity gets people involved in it. But here's the thing. Is there a typical person? Is it more men? Is it more women? You know, what are the three characteristics of the person who actually comes to you and you sort of go, yeah, they've got the right stuff. What is the right stuff for someone? Because what you're talking about there, raising six figures, multiple six figures to really give yourself a go whilst giving potentially giving up your job at the same time, that is a hell of a hurdle for people it to is. mentally get over. So what what's the right stuff for sure. people that are trying to do this? Well, I mean, again, you it, it you have to qualify the idea that it, you know, certain types of business or certain levels of business are just not available to everybody, right? Some of them have to be worked into. Um, I can't help everybody. I would love to try to help everybody. I simply can't because some people are not in the right mindset. If someone comes in and some it's the wrong mindset and you're like, well, that's going to cost you um, $500 their mindset might be, well, this is, this is, you know, I'm putting a lot of faith in you to do this. And I really got to make sure that, you know, you're going to make me a lot of money doing this. And they have these really grandiose expectations. Whereas when I talk to people who understand the business, understand and made the change and are on their path and looking for the right Sherpa to head up the hill. And I say, well, that's going to cost you 50 to hundred grand. They're like, I'm in. Right. Because their mindsets are different. They understand the business, they understand the goals, they understand how fast they need to go. We don't start a brand right now in our company that won't go to eight figures. We just won't start it. So there are different levels of business. You have to understand where you are. And it's okay that if you're not at that level of business yet to work yourself up there in whatever capacity you can. Uh, so the mindset usually for people is, is not just an age or demographical thing. It usually has to do with their experiences in life. That can happen for somebody at 30 or somebody at 50 or somebody at 60 who's never going to have that experience whatsoever because they're so ingrained, they will not look out the window and see Everest anymore. They're now focused on, well, five more years from now, I'm going to retire. So they're not in the right frame of mind. I typically see people in their 30s to 40s who are looking at it going, okay, and similar to me, I have now recognized a number of things about the world that are wrong. I have now seen a lot of opportunity. I've seen people within my age group who were doing things that I didn't think possible in ways I didn't can't even imagine I could see myself doing. But all of a sudden, seeing them do it or recognizing that it's a reality suddenly shifts my perspective. And that moment of perspective, like you said, they look out the window and they're like, well, dang, that's there. I've never saw that. I've driven by it every day. Why didn't I see it? Well, because I'm just in blinder mode. I get up, I go Monday through Friday. I get up, I go Monday through Friday. I'm working for that one week of vacation. I'm happy when they give me an extra 5% bonus, but hey, inflation at eight and a half to 20%, yeah, whatever, that didn't do anything. So you're starting to recognize these things are very much uh, uh, different and you're out reaching out into the world to go try to figure out where to make those changes. Typically people are searching for us. They're looking for that change. They've decided to make that. They have woken up um, male or female. It doesn't really matter. Typically I see them, the men driving a little bit more of that um, because we are the providers, we're the go-getters, we the guys who work a lot. Um, women do that too, of course, but I typically see more men driven that way who are uh, 
usually married um, with their spouses. They're typically higher net worth individuals in terms of their jobs and, and businesses. Um, they are typically, they understand the ideas of multiple streams of revenue. They understand the concepts of wealth alternatives. They may have even heard in the phrase, you know, infinite banking. They may understand uh, diversification of assets and building revenue streams. They may understand re uh, real estate investing and REIs and multi-tenants and um, STRs and all the other stuff that you can do in real estate for fun. Um, and they've been investigating or doing some component of that. When they see the e-commerce model to them, it's kind of like this big black opportunity that they recognize is out there and is growing. And they've done some research and realize it's it's capable and within their grasp. They just don't understand how to approach it. So they are typically doing their research. You know, they will listen to podcasts. People typically spend three months or more uh, in my ecosystem listening to podcasts and videos and researching and emails and all kinds of stuff before they even approach me. Um, because they're doing a lot of due diligence to determine whether or not what I'm saying is actually real and what we're doing is legitimate uh, in this fray of information out there from YouTubers and TikTokers and everybody else who is, you know, make money offers and screaming about all these ways to, you know, make a million dollars in a month. Um, that's not reality, right? Uh, but they're typically awake to that. They have snapped out of it to some degree and they are now on a path of changing. They have recognized certain things about their lifestyle and their goals and suddenly realized that it's no longer the way they want things to be done. They no longer realize that I want to just work for the next dollar or that retirement. I don't want my kids in this. I don't want my kids following this path. I want bigger opportunities for them. And bigger opportunities means I don't necessarily want them to get involved in the system that I'm stuck in. So I said slavery earlier and people don't like, well, slavery, that was 400 years ago, 500 years ago. Like if you're tied to your house, if you're tied to your job, if you're tied to your car, if you're tied to your credit cards and you must go to work, to service that debt, or it will overtake you in 30 days, you are a debt slave. And until you can reconcile that understanding and face that head on, will you not start to make changes and say, well, I could do without that $450 a month car payment. I could get a smaller car. I don't maybe need this bigger house. We could sell that house and downsize to something smaller. We could start preparing ourselves mentally, physically, and financially. Uh, to approach the opportunity that, again, lifestyle is a mindset that could drive business when I start to change everything about my environment. That's when I see people come up, Nigel. That's when I see them contact me. That's when I see them. They're moving on that path and they're on their way. And now they're looking for their Sherpa. Mm -hmm. Now, it, would you say the American dream is still alive? And would you say that the American dream, when when you say you see men coming through more, is that because society is expecting the man to go and, and and do this and it's even harder for women to overcome that sort of innate um no you should stay at home type type feeling is is that something that's still there and it the opportunity in america has got to be got to be there for everybody hasn't it it is and it is there for everybody and i have uh, you know we have women in in, in our group just as many uh, almost just as many as men uh, and many times we have men and families and kids and parents, and they're all involved together uh, as a group. Very, uh, actually, very infrequently do I have just a single guy who's in here working without without that structure, um, because they are typically again older in life and moving. And by the time they get into their forties, right now or fifties, um, they have woken up to a lot of what's going on. Most of the people that are involved and know uh, enough to know that things are not right. The system isn't great. The inflation and other problems are going to eat up their money and. They're looking for ways to make it work. Yeah, the, the American dream is still alive. It's just changed, right? It isn't necessarily uh, for everyone to live in the two and a half, you know, bedroom house, et cetera. 
in a cul-de-sac. Um, I Maybe it's because of the vibe I put out. Maybe it's because of the way I talk on my podcast. Maybe it's because of the way I do my marketing, but I get a lot more people attracted to what I say who are typically trying to receive a lifestyle that I have achieved. And it isn't just the monetary, it's the physical. Living in the country, living more independent, growing your own food like we do. I have a 1,500 square foot garden. That's bigger than most houses. Um, you know, living in the country, raising ducks and chickens and animals and, you know, having my family around me and stuff every day uh, is when I talk to people like this, uh, a goal of theirs. They're like, that's that's what I want. I would love to have that. I don't want to be here in the neighborhood anymore. I don't want to be in the city. I want to, I want to get out. I want to do my own thing. I want to be more independent. They want to feel more independent from life, uh, not just financially, but physically and mentally. Um, if they know the finances can come if mentally, they can get in that position. So it's there, but it's changed dramatically. Um, real estate markets being what they are, a lot of people can't buy into those anymore. They can buy into the country a little easier than they can buy into, you know, uh, a $400,000, 1100 square foot home, uh, that suddenly doesn't make a whole lot of sense anymore. If you're buying at that level, it makes sense for some people and that's cool. I get it. It's not for me. Um, but there's a lot of people that think that's okay. And that's, that's their lifestyle. I mean, it's, it's what it is for the area that you want to live. Um, we chose to live in an area that didn't require all that and can have obviously a lot more opportunity to run, but those individuals. Yeah. I mean, they still see that opportunity. It's just shifted quite a bit, at least in the people that I speak to. Mm, right. Um, you know, we, we sort of love coming across books and, and other things that sort of it really make us stop and re rethink a position or a, a belief that we've got. Um, and, you know, the uh, the creature from Jekyll Island, I, I, I love it because it's a, it's amazing how that thread has been woven through kind of Western history um, yep. for, for so long. It's, it's incredible. But Neil, what's the one thing that shocked you the most? when you did the matrix red pill or blue pill type thing, what, what was the, what was the one thing that you went, geez, I did not know that. Didn't see that one coming. Um, boy, that's a, that's a loaded question with yeah, like of course it is. 20 things that are popping <laughs> into my mind all of a sudden, you know, I think the one that probably got me the most, um, was the, well, Understanding the Federal Reserve was actually a corporate entity called the Federal Reserve. That was a big one. Uh, yeah. And recognizing it's actually a private corporation is yeah, masked yeah, as a federal yeah. entity. And then realizing uh, that each of those other entities in the United States were also just corporations as part of a multi-conglomerate corporation. Uh, that was quite fascinating to me to realize and wake up exactly how the Ponzi scheme of our money and monetary system were working against us. Mm -hmm. um, and even watching it now, it's fascinating. Uh, most recently, kind of recognizing that the the two major conglomerate companies of BlackRock and Vanguard um, are basically taking the money that people are giving them, their 401ks and life savings, and then bidding them out of their own houses by buying fifty dollars to $100,000 above the homes in, uh, in the neighborhoods and using their own money to buy the houses out from underneath them, and then turning them back around and making them rent the houses from them. Um, those last couple of ones were pretty tough to wake up to and recognize that's quite an amazing thing people are not aware of. Yeah. Where do you see it going then? Where do you see all this, you know, which well, direction? I mean, it's like, a, it, right, it's, it's like a James Bond movie, isn't it? And you, you feel that the is. government should have an address, which would be number one, the crater, uh, the middle of the volcano, some mystical <laughs> island sort of thing. That should be their address. Um, because, yeah. you, you know, James Bond, you always go, who are these people? And my question's always been, when you, when you take over the world, then what? 
the great um, Bond villains are always going to take over the world, right? Yeah, but what are they going to do then? So take over the universe, man. Go to Mars and go conquer Mars, right? Um, uh, yeah, that's a that's a, that. <laughs> it's a fascinating way to look at it. Where do you go when you have world domination? Yeah, um, is, it, is it the the Georgia Stones? Is it reduction of population? Well, it, is that where it's going? This may be a very unpopular opinion, uh, but. The Georgia Guidestones have unfortunately been a roadmap we've watched uh, be revealed even more uh, realistic and, and more clarity the last few years. Just explain uh, explain that for people. Well, I mean, in simple terms, there there was a TED talk given by Bill Gates um, a few years ago. Uh, I think a few years ago is, is more than three or four, if I remember correctly, in which he basically put the P in the equation of climate change and population control and P was people. And he talked very clearly on stage about how the reduction of people uh, would save climate change and they needed to move 15% of the people off the earth. And he, he, he said this very um, politically correct, but in many ways it's basically was we need 15% less people on the earth uh, or we're going to have a major climate disaster on our hands. And he said it was such callous um, intent that uh, I had to watch it a few times before I really recognized uh, what evil level of manipulation you would have to get to um, to do a good job with vaccinations and starvation and the other things he called out in order to depopulate the earth by 15%. When you do the numbers, that's uh, kind of where um, the Georgia Guidestones, since you brought it up, <laughs> kind of lead this whole conversation. They're literally written, and for anybody who doesn't understand this, there's physical stones and a monument uh, in Georgia in which one of the stones was set up to actually have a hole in it that points directly to the North, North Star, uh, which actually stays right on target um, all the time, 365 days a year. And you can do what you want with that one, unpack that a little further, and you may find some things about your world that you don't recognize uh, as to why that star stays right within the middle of that stone's hole. Uh, and then you get into what's written on it and, you know, Depopulation is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And through, again, good vaccinations and other methods, Bill Gates said this, you can, don't quote me, go to the internet, look up his YouTube and TED Talk and you'll find out. Depopulation is definitely one big agenda for the future. You can't, too many people sucking up too many resources, they say. Um, and that the climate will be affected if it doesn't change. Okay, that sounds pretty evil to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah. It, it's one of these things that, um, I don't know, I, I was so caught up in the traditional sort of lifestyle of uh, you go to school, you do the next stage, next stage, next stage, and all the rest yeah. of it, that uh, yep. it, it took a while before you suddenly sort of go, oh, I think I'll just, you know, read something, something piques your curiosity, mm. you, you, you open a door, you peer in, and you go, hold on a second, nobody told me about all this, and then you start just looking and uh and and seeing what's out there and, and it it is fascinating and it's ray would you say it's only when someone's willing to open that door that we've seen that they are then willing to put themselves at risk and and yes. try and raise money for their own thing this is what i see because yeah. every everyone is saying you, you're crazy you know people say oh try your friends and family first well they're the ones that turn around and and are willing to certify you and get you uh, incarcerated. The in, first in ones up to beat you. Yeah. The first yeah, ones that criticize you know, they're your the new first business. Ones <laughs> lob you in the back of the van and get you carted off. Because right. Say, well, he, 
he started talking about business and buying more than one house and raising money. He's giving and- crazy. He's capital. But here's there's a shortened term of I mean, there's a shortened time. There's a sense of urgency. I have felt it. I know I've been at this for over 15 years, at least in terms of waking up family and friends who were willing to listen to accept changes and make changes in their life. Some have followed, some have not. Uh, some have recognized, some have been very grateful that they were now woke up and aware to what's going on and have had an opportunity to prepare and change their life. Many are still on that path, which is great. But I think um, you'd asked this question a minute ago. I think it's referred to as a great awakening. And we've had a few of these in the past, and there's a few awakenings and industrial revolutions and things that really shifted the whole uh, economy and mindset of the entire world. And I think we're we're on the precipice of one of those. I personally think we're on the precipice of some major, major change from the monetary to the systems to the world governments. Um, you know, you just can't see that there isn't some sort of um, free fall happening in terms of this, the opportunity of, of what's, uh, how do I say this right way? There's just a, there's a major change coming uh, that most people don't see that I feel and I can't predict and I'm not going to prophesy or do any of this nonsense and say that someday in the future, blah, 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 because that's just nonsense. But there is something coming. Many people know it. I've talked to many people about it. You feel a shift. You feel a change. You don't know what it is or when it's coming. You just know something is happening. Something is changing. Something has shifted. I've had some friends who are wholeheartedly in the belief system that in 2012, we shifted timelines. Like they believe that the startup of CERN um, and now it's restarting CERN is going to change some very big things. And they have some very interesting thoughts about all that. I don't know if I subscribe to all that, but I can see, you know, they're pretty smart people. They like to keep their identification. They're very well off in business and they've done some very amazing things, but they have some very interesting thoughts that they wouldn't share in the public because of those reasons. And you think that this is just a lot of French people in the country with hillbillies who have no education, no knowledge, and no awareness of the world, but you'd be very wrong. Uh, there are people I talk to both in the military, high top, and, and in the other places of business and stuff who have some ideas that would probably blow most people's minds and belief systems that are very much outside of you know, hillbillies with no education and knowledge who are science deniers. Um, that's just a narrative. <laughs> uh, these people are very much into the realization that something has changed, is changing, and they're you know they're moving with it. So yeah, there's a sense of urgency that I feel, that I think others are feeling too, and they know they've got to break out of the system to some degree. The changes they've been waiting on, the things they've been thinking they would want to do in their life and stuff, now they're starting to move faster and faster towards that. Uh, it's time to put the you know, throttle down and start um, getting out of the system. Okay, so I think, um, I, I that, think... that leads neatly into if they're going to get it out of the system, Neil, yeah. how do they get out of the system and yep. talk to you? Well, if they want to choose the e-commerce path and they're curious about what that might look like, uh, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. You can find me on social media. I have a very short last name. I can't hide uh, on the internet. I don't try, uh, which is why I keep my nose very clean. You know, They say it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and a few seconds to lose it. So I have no interest in doing that. So everybody who comes to me is an app, is part of an application process. You talk to me specifically. I'm looking for your intent. I'm looking for your interest. I'm not really looking for your money. I'm actually looking to find out if you are qualified to run a business, uh, if you can actually grow it and have success in it uh, and have the right mindset and aptitude and understand the activities that will go after and the appropriate time that will take to actually drive that money. You can check me out online, look up Voltage DM. Uh, our digital marketing company. And if e-commerce is a path you might want to take, then I encourage you to go take a look at that. And then we'll see if you qualify. And if it makes good sense for us to win, we might win together. It's that simple. There you go. Ray, what are you thinking? Just um, uh, You know, I was thinking that a lot of this goes back to, um, yeah, funnily enough, a Rothschild who said in the 1780s, um, give me control over a nation's currency and I care not who makes its laws. Um, <laughs> 
what yep. we're seeing what we're seeing now with you know going back to central bank digital currency that's that's what it's all about whoever controls the money controls everything and we spoke in the last podcast episode about these four phases about the stimulus the ubi the incentives and then the nationwide implementation of cbtc's um and i for one don't want to be subject to that kind of control correct um, you know for a variety of reasons i mean i when i talked i was a big I was and still am a kind of fan of universal basic income, but I mean it from the point of view that of, of freeing up uh, creativity, not of control. Mm. That's, that's the angle I came to it from. And that was, um, now, UBI was put around a Scotsman, Adam Smith, way back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, it was recently revived. There was a book by Andrew Yang that we reviewed called the, what was it, the, the something of normal people, the death of normal people or something, or the destruction of normal people. Andrew Yang, who ran for Democratic um, nomination. Oh, Yang, right. Yang. Um, yep. UBI, as far as I could see it, was, is a good way of managing um, benefits, government benefits, hmm. but not necessarily of controlling population. Right. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to see the population controlled in that way, but that's where it's going. I think all these... The lockdowns are simply a template for, I think we're going to start seeing, um, we've had economic lockdowns. I think we're going to start seeing environmental lockdowns. They're going to turn around and say, you know, um, if your car registration ends in an odd number, you can't drive on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays and, and so on. Uh, and the digital currency is going to be a way of controlling, you know, how much meat you buy, how much fuel you buy, all that kind of carry on. And also with the, the velocity of money, uh, governments like it to move through more hands because the more hands it moves through, the more taxes they get. They'll, yeah. start, they'll start putting deadlines on when you can use your money, that sort of thing. That's right. All of, all of that I don't like. And or locking down your EV and you can't even get to work because your post on Facebook yesterday was not part of the social credit system's accepted correct. approvable community guidelines. And so now you can't drive your EV for the next 24 hours. Yes, correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, so even guess what? you can't go to your job. Call that one in and see if your boss likes that one. Sorry, yeah. my Facebook post yesterday, I can't show it for work. <laughs> well, you know, that's uh, all of that. It, it's going to it's going to be this thing. With me. Is, and I don't you, want, as you said earlier, Neil, about your children. I'm, I'm not so much thinking about myself. I'm thinking about, you know, the kids. I'm thinking about my own generational about their future. Yeah, generational. Well, men typically do that. I know, you Nigel, you want to say something about that. I, I was just thinking that, you know, um, uh, what you were saying, Ray, uh, you, you've got to be careful what happens with this with the digitizing of everything because yes. the government is effectively going to be able to see every transaction that you do and and be able to see it whilst remaining as opaque as ever because as an accountant it always makes me laugh that the government prosecutes p companies for not filing accounts and yet the accounts of every government department have been qualified for years and the auditors always say we cannot put a hand on our heart and say this is a true and fair view of what's gone on in this in this department of the government so the government can't even do their own accounts and yet they are going to be at the point of being able to see every transaction for every person and make a judgment and they'll use ai and bots to crawl through and you know withdraw the funds withdraw the credits for whatever reason whenever they see fit it's well when um, you get to technology the level at which we're looking at like quantum computing most people don't understand what that means they think it's you know it's sci-fi a little it's not realistic or it's not even been implemented yet and in actuality they're wrong 
having some time with Watson's uh, development team out in uh, Armonk, New York, I can tell you artificial intelligence is very much real and it's very much uh, powerful and quantum computing with 5G takes it to a level that's quite uh, capable uh, of moving a social credit system and all of the things we just discussed into full compliance without people uh, managing it. And that's where things get a little bit crazy, right? Um, Skynet comes alive <laughs> as Terminator days go when these things actually start to take over and we're watching them implement. AI will start to implement farther and farther. It is one of the major concerns I have, Nigel, that they will be able to obviously keep up with us because those systems and that speed of that information will now be near real time. And there's nothing to stop that uh, from being able to control every aspect of your life and track it all. People say, well, Bitcoin and blockchain, blockchain will solve that. It will solve the voting issues. Again, if you push people towards the benefits of the technology, but you ignore all the ramifications of it, including the aspects of 5G, uh, and then you tell them, well, it's just faster downloads and get your movies and you sell them on all the great benefits, but then you hide and suppress all the truth and information about the radiation levels, the fact that the NIH and CDC have published on their websites the com uh, connection to 5G and COVID. And if you don't believe me, again, go do your research, dig in. It's on their websites until they remove it. Then go to Web Archive because everything gets archived there for now uh, and check out those. You will see that there are ties to 5G radiation and COVID. Uh, it's already written in the documents. And again, you, you might think I'm crazy bringing this up, but you can go do your research and you can go figure this out. I encourage you, don't take my word for it and don't use Google. Uh, go out and search uh, on DuckDuckGo or even Brave, uh, search.brave.com, where this is not being suppressed, and you will find some of this information. But you got to break your own cognitive dissonance. You got to break your own narrative chain. You got to break out of some of the thoughts that a lot of these things are crazy, and you got to wake up to some of it before it encapsulates you and before you cannot outrun it. To build a lifestyle as a business is to build one in which I can literally disconnect from the internet at any point in time and walk away from all of this. Can you? Because if you cannot, then you are a part of the system. And I can shut off all my technology and put my cell phone aside and stop paying for all of it or simply just get out of the financial system altogether and be sustainable. And if you cannot do that, then you are become, going to become a victim of the system. And whether you like it or not, you will have to compromise your ethics, your morals, your boundaries. You will have to look at your children and go, would I feed you or would I keep you in the system to feed you or any of these other concerns you may think are unrealistic. You may think I'm acting out irrationally, but hopefully today you understand in this conversation, I'm not an irrational person uh, and well within my mental facilities. The end game here, of course, is not just a reduction of people, but is the control of who's left. Go to Agenda 2030 on the UN website. Read all about this. Moving people out of the rural centers into city controls and within the mesh network that is 5G is their ultimate goal. The social credit system of China is coming to the UK, whether anybody likes it or not, they're on the path for that. And from there, they will eventually hit America. America is the keystone. You unlock the financial currency and Federal Reserve currency of the, of the standard currency of the US dollar to the rest of the world and watch what happens uh, and how all the countries and, and systems will capitulate behind it. It'll happen so fast. It can literally happen on a weekend. And most people don't recognize how fast that could occur. You wake up on Monday and everything's on the blockchain. And then guess what? Stuff starts moving pretty bad pretty fast. Well, Neil, on that bombshell. We need to have another episode to prepare people how to get out of it, how to do things, what to do, what steps. Yep. To well, step one is getting your mindset right. Yep. How to prepare okay. yourself is to get right in your head. You have to first accept 
that the life and the situation you're living in and as difficult as this is and how much time it takes you go out into the rock and sing kumbaya or you know beat yourself over the head or i don't know go for a run or do whatever it takes to start preparing your mental facilities um to get prepared for what's coming whether you like it or not there are 22 organic food facilities in the united states that have had industrial accidents airplanes fly into them or strange occurrences with uh, issues in their buildings, et cetera, that have burned to the ground in the last couple months. In the last couple of months? Go look it up. You will find they have been uh, too many coincidences to be mathematically impossible. It is someone is taking down the organic food supply chain system. Don't know why mm. or what, nor, never hear its purpose, but it's going to affect the, the food system. 22 of them have at this point burned or had some crazy industrial accident. It's never been, that's a record. You don't have that many industrial accidents in that short a time frame in all organic food production facilities. Well, I, I feel like, right. I don't know if you're Fox or Mulder or whatever. Um, and we'll be back for another episode of the X-Files <laughs> because the truth is out there. Well, as, it's, as it is. Say. You just have to go look for it. <laughs> I think folks, um, Anyone listening to this sort of thinking, wow, that was that was slightly off topic. That was a bit off offbeat. That was uh, mm. that was a different one. Um, there should be some threads in there. The fact that uh, being an entrepreneur, you're going to be the outlier. You're going to be the one that in human tendency is to go with the herd, protection right. with the herd. And it's very hard to put your head above the parapet, step out of that herd, be on your own. The hunters are out there, the, the, the saber two tigers or whatever are out there. Um, and, and this will hopefully say, all right, maybe those saber-toothed tigers aren't actually there. Um, and, and maybe the saber-toothed tigers are actually in the herd at the moment and you should be getting out of the herd. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? But it, it's one of these things that I think when you talk to most entrepreneurs, they are the people with the most open of minds to being able to absorb something, assess it you know, measure it against their own internal benchmarks, wherever they're at, and then make a judgment on it. What I find is, is really hard is talking to people who died in the wool employees, because it is absolutely black and white. It is this, or it is that. And it's very hard to get anyone to move that far um, in one go. So they tend never to do it. So Neil, I've, you know, I've really enjoyed, um, you know, chatting with you, listening to you and, and having my sort of uh, mind opened to different possibilities again. Um, and I think what you're talking about there, the lifestyle of being in control of your own lifestyle, you can you can choose to plug in, unplug, you can choose to participate, not participate. The fact is you've got the ability to decide and to choose. And for most people, that choice is gone because they chose not to choose to do something different. So maybe this episode is all about, hey, folks, you've still got time to choose. Um, I don't know. Ray, what are, what are you thinking at, the, <laughs> at that point? Um, well, I, I, I'm, I'm moving down that path uh, of unplugging, as it were. Um, yeah, like I say, I, I find the whole, the whole move towards CBCs and all the rest of it quite uncomfortable and, uh, yeah, want to do something about it. So I'm very much in that uh, in that, um, would I say, ideal client sphere, potentially. Um, and that's something I'd like to explore a bit further. Neil, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much for your time and for being a guest here on the uh, How to Raise Money podcast. We'll put 
uh, links to it, uh, to your your sort of connections uh, in the show notes for people. But you can't, as you say, um, it's, the English would say that's a typical American spelling of a word that's not very hard to spell where you convert it into TWA because you couldn't say the French toi. Uh, so I, I love it. I, I just, I love that. I think it's great. <laughs> but there we go. Axe with no E. I mean, who you, what are you doing there? Right. Exactly. <laughs> it was like, it was like when you wrote those uh, letters and, and how to spell things again, uh, you were short on lead in your pencil. So you thought we'd better chop a few letters out. Exactly. Hey, aluminium, for goodness sake. <laughs> Where's this aluminum come from? Anyway, we're not going to go down that route. Neil, thank you so much for your time. Fascinating. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people saying, hey, I need to know more. I'm ready. I can see Everest. I can see you're a Sherpa. We need to uh, get together. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me on, guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to get started, you obviously need to, you know, in any business online. Well, you guys are online to a degree, aren't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You knew it, it didn't happen overnight, right? Correct. Every step of the way was a new ring in your comfort zone, right? And now if you look back, you're like, how far am I from the center of that original comfort zone, which you tapped into, Nigel, which is the daily drone, as I yeah, yeah. refer to it, um, of doing life with blinders on. Every day I do this and I go to bed and I wake up and do it again. Well, at some point, most men recognize that there's more. They don't know how to get it. And therefore, they typically to some degree, um, succumb to life, uh, drugs, antidepressants, pornography, or anything else they can to distract themselves from <laughs> the life that they're in, uh, knowing that they want to change it. I don't, I have very rarely met someone who is a hundred percent fulfilled in their corporate job. Mm. Yeah. They, yeah. I, they just, they just don't, they're in that comfort. They, they don't know how to take the first step. Right. Um, but something yeah. changes and they don't you see the victim. You mentioned this earlier victim and the difference between most entrepreneurs I know is they don't have a victim mindset. They have a, a mindset of control and I want to do this and therefore I am taking the action. Therefore I take the responsibility of the outcome, good or bad. And until someone can reach that step, will they not take the first steps of moving? And if you're in a life that does that and you have a wife or family that have to depend on some of those things. And, or significant others, then it makes it difficult to have the community of your life agree to all go in a different direction. And this is where major changes are very difficult when men in their 30s and 40s and 50s who have family and life who haven't achieved a certain level of success that allows them to step away from anything they're doing and not financially wreck themselves in the process. Hmm. Whereas in our 20s yeah. and 30s, we're capable of making major shifts and changes and adapting and growing, etc. And then the 40s are your building years and 50s are supposed to be the you know, the years in which you continue to build on what you started and the risk you did. And of course, into your 60s, quote unquote, you're the, you know, the idea that we can sort of relax and take our hands off the wheel a little bit, right? Um, but then there's the idea that guys like me are like, why would I take my hands off the wheel when I can work 10 to 15 hours a week? Why would I ever stop? Mm. Uh, I don't need to retire from my life. I don't need a vacation from my life. I don't need any of those things anymore that once upon a time were very important to me. And I was in the system. I was very much a drone. Uh, up until I got to IBM and IBM actually showed me strangely enough uh, a different way of doing life um, and I had a, an ability to look at it very differently I had the rich dad poor dad scenario before the book was written um, my dad was a mechanic and I worked under cars and was a hard-working blue-collar guy who dropped out of high school and made his way and eventually did you know did good we were very you know uh, we didn't want for anything 
but we didn't have a lot um, when I was growing up. On the other hand, my aunt married a guy who was very from very much from an entrepreneurial family who set off to do his own thing. And after he got out of the military and was a Green Beret and uh, came out of that and stuff, started his own boat company. And from the boat company, became very successful. And having time with him uh, until his death in 2005 uh, was a very big indicator of the differences in mindset and thought and business. And I got to have conversations with him and make inroads and connections into life and business that really opened me up to understand the differences that I'd never understood about money and finances and stuff. And so while I had to continue my track with IBM until 2007, his death was an instigator um, for me two years later moving out of IBM and saying, it's my time. I got to get done. I got to move. I cannot do this. I can't. You know, I can't turn into my dad, but that wasn't like a negative to my dad. Like he's an amazing guy, hardworking, love him to death, get to see him every day, literally because he lives down the dirt road. Um, but I didn't want to turn into the guy who got stuck in the corporate life, you know, and, and in his way he was, even though he was a grease monkey at the factory, mm. um, he got stuck in the corporate life and he didn't want that for me either. Fascinating. Stuff. All right. Um, I- that's it is time for me yes we must leave yeah you need to you need to go you've got <laughs> I blame uh, Oliver's football match haven't you? I know, I know. <laughs> well look guys it's an honor and I appreciate you having me on uh, uh great it's fascinating Neil thank you very much for your time we will catch right. up with you another time we'll do take care Forward to it. good luck bye cheers well Ray how do you unpack that one <laughs> I love to hear people talk about things you know in 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 different sort of perspectives and 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 just sort of say, wow, okay, that's great. Mm. You know, fascinating. You know, if he's building these businesses up and he makes his money by um, being the broker for the sale of a successful business, that's a great position to be in because it's not, I'm not making money off you up front. I'm making it off you when you are successful and you sell it, mm. you exit. That is a great that's a great sort of, um, yeah. you know, thing to yeah. be in, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it works. I mean, when I left the law and we started helping law firms, that was the deal we had. Yeah. We, you know, we basically said, if you know, if you don't get the result, you don't pay anything. But when you get the result, here's, here's the fee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. And, and the ones that turned around and went, oh, that's an awful lot of money. And we're like, well, hang on a minute. You've got 600 grand overdraft. We're going to wipe that out in nine months. And you're going to be more profitable. And the fee's yeah. 60 grand, you know? And they had to, they had to think about it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. The website has all the useful links and underlying research, and you can get downloads of the checklists and other useful information. See you next time, where we can show you how to raise money. There is abundance. There is money enough for everyone on the planet. The question is, who has yours?